We're looking for inspiration. We look for inspiration in movies. We look for it in books. We look for change in infomercials, P90X, ShamWow, whatever it is that can really change our life and bring some, you know, some movement forward. Well, we're going to today really hear from something that can change your life. In fact, God's Word brings change. It was really God speaking that brought our entire world into existence. And throughout the story of Scripture, we hear that God reveals, He instructs, He informs. But He doesn't do this just like a, you know, kind of like a ticker tape running underneath the, the, uh, the screen for CNN. You know, just giving us bits and pieces of information about what's going on. He does this always in the context or in the pursuit of a relationship. God wants you to know Him. He wants you to know yourself. He wants you to be transformed. And the wonder and beauty and the power of what God's Word can do in our life is portrayed many times in Scripture. In fact, there's a psalm, Psalm 19, which starts off with a beautiful panoramic view of how God speaks through nature. But then it transitions to talk about how in God's Word He does things that are unbelievable. That He warns us, that He corrects us, that He, in a a sense, does a secret surgery in our hearts. Helping us to see change take place in areas of our life that we really aren't even aware of yet. Allowing us to be the kind of people that He really created us to be. You know, during the dark hours of the life of Israel that are captured in the pages of the Old Testament, there are a couple of scenes that are very interesting when it comes to hearing about reading God's Word. One happens, it's actually recorded in a couple of places, in 2 Kings 22 and in 2 Chronicles, um, in 2 Chronicles 34 and 35. They tell the amazing story of how this young king named Josiah wanted to see change take place in his kingdom. And one of the things that they decided to do was clean out the temple. And as they were cleaning out the temple, they discovered something, something they hadn't had in a long time. They discovered God's work. And they come, and they bring it to Josiah, and they begin to read to Josiah what God's law says. And it just brings life to him. Now, what he would have been reading would have been things like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Some books in the Bible which we think bringing life, like reading through Leviticus, would bring life and invigorate a kingdom. Reading through genealogies of what God had done in people's lives. You know, it's like, this helped me put my kids to bed. But it was bringing Josiah to life because God was speaking. In Nehemiah chapter 8, it talks about Ezra reading the scripture aloud for the day. And people that had not heard God's word in so long are pricked to their heart. Reading scripture was part of Jesus' ministry. Even when we see him show up in the synagogue and in Luke 4 it says, as was his custom. He read the scripture. The apostles did the same thing. It was the life of the early church. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says, I charge you to read this letter out loud. And in Colossians 4, we're told that they need to switch letters with the Laodiceans and have each, have each other read the letters in their public gatherings so that they can hear God's word. Paul charges Timothy near the end of his life to say, do not neglect reading the scriptures publicly. And in fact, one of the early church leaders in in 155 AD, a guy named Justin Martyr, when he was trying to explain to people on the outside, what do Christians, what are you even about? He said, well, one of the things we do is we get together. When we get together, 
We read the memoirs of the apostles to one another. We read the Gospels. That's how we start out. We read this to one another. Because God is speaking. Back in 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, it, it gives us the reality that all Scripture is God-breathed. That it comes right from God. Many of us want to get closer to God. We want to understand Him. We want to feel Him. And it's saying that in the Scripture, that God is breathing. We know which is an amazing opportunity to even get close to Him, to experience Him. But also, it is God's breath that brings very life into this world. That He breathed into Adam and made Him a living soul. Then in Ezekiel chapter 37, we see a picture of dry bones in this vision. And God's breath brings life to something that's dead. God's breath, God's word can bring life out of death. And maybe you're here and you feel really cold toward God. Maybe you don't have a relationship with Him. Maybe your love for Him or your love for your spouse is so cold, so dead. You need resurrection. In God's word, He can bring life to you. I've seen it again and again. seen it take place in my own life. As a freshman in college, my life was radically out of control. In a moment, I turned back to God, and I sat in my dorm room reading a big King James Master Study Bible. You know, some of the things, even though I'd grown up reading that language, which was basically a foreign language, God was bringing change to my life. Changing things about my character that I never expected. Things were changing about me that I didn't even expect. I've seen it take place, uh, many of you know, I'm working on a PhD through University of Bristol in New Testament. And nothing, nothing I have learned in seminary has been more impacting than simply reading God's Word. I read, you read some things in, in original languages, read about the background, but a couple of years ago I was reading the book of Luke and the book of Acts. I read it 50 times in two months. And I felt like God was showing me things that I've never seen in my life about His Word. God speaks through His Word. He brings change. And I see it happen in friends' lives as well. I met a young man a couple of years ago who had no exposure to Christianity. He grew up in Berkeley. said he went to Boy Scouts one time in his life. That was his only exposure to Christianity. And he came out to an outreach that I was speaking at. Afterwards, he came up to me and he said, When you talk about Jesus, it's interesting. It's like you worship Him or something. And, I, and he said, What's up with that? That's how they speak. I said, Well, let's get together and we can talk more about God, there's some really surprising things about who He is. And as we got together, one, someone has suggested to him that he read the Bible. And so as we get together, he had read the book of Romans, which is not the book I would suggest for someone who has no idea about Christianity. And he says, I read the book of Romans last night and I have a couple of questions in my heart. Just begin to think, what, and what is this going to be? Is it about you, you know, human responsibility, divine sovereignty? There are many issues that could come up. And he opens up to Romans chapter 5 and he says, This says you can have joy even when life's difficult. What is it about what you believe that allows you to experience peace and joy even when life's difficult? I want this. You know what? God speaks through his word. And as we move forward today, we're going to hear from him. Thank you. Well, in a few moments, Pastor Jason is going to... Uh, is going to recite to us 1 John. And we're going to hear the book in its entirety. And so what would be helpful for you to know before you hear 1 John read to you? 
Often, when we hear someone say something like, I'd like to give you some background about this, for many of you, you shut off. Now, because most of you are not like me. I mean, I read books like Everyday Life in Ancient Mesopotamia. And ancient mariners, seafarers' ways in the ancient Roman Empire. But I understand, even from my group of friends, that that's not normal. <laughs> and I'm one of the few people that starts sentences off regularly in, with, in the first century. Most people, we don't talk like that. And so, when you hear, I'd like to tell you a little background, you think, oh, what does this have to do? You know, this might be helpful if I were going to play, if my life depended upon Bible trivia. But our life doesn't depend upon Bible trivia. And so, what would be helpful for you to know today? Well, perhaps as clearly as any book in the Bible, 1 John wants you to know why this was written. In fact, as you're listening today, one of the things that you can do is tune in to the phrase, we write this, I write this to you. And the author, John, will paint a picture of why have I written this to you. He'll say things like, we write this to make our joy complete. Because he really desires for these people to move forward and he loves them. They're not just a number to him. He cares about these people dearly and wants them to experience the goodness of Jesus and the transformation that comes through him. He'll say things like, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if, or perhaps when, anyone does sin. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. That He wants us to experience transformation. But He also wants us to be richly immersed in the grace of Jesus Christ, in the transformation that comes through Him. Near the end of the letter, He'll say, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. That you can know it. That you can experience the reality of knowing that you have a relationship with God. And are connected with the Creator. He wants you to experience joy, confidence of knowing you have eternal life. He wants you to experience change in that rich immersion in the goodness of Jesus. You know, the epistles of John and the Gospel of John are filled with many black and white contrasts. It's a real feature that you'll find if you're reading through the Gospel of John or through first and second, third John. They don't put things in contrast, absolute opposites, things like love and hate. Light and darkness, truth and lie, life and death, Holy Spirit versus devil, or Holy Spirit, Antichrist. That he puts these things in absolute black and white contrast. Because sometimes life is confusing. And sometimes the Christian life is confusing. What's right to do? What's right to believe? Sometimes it feels confusing. But John does a thing. He puts things in absolute black and white. He turns the contrast up as high as possible to help simplify things. And to show us that, you know what, some things are not that confusing. And it can be clear to you whether you are someone who has a relationship with God or if you don't. It can be clear to you if this is the right choice to make in life or if it is not. He wants you to experience things that you want. That is one of the reasons I would listen to this letter with open ears. You want to have confidence with God. One of the pictures that he paints again and again in this little letter is one about having confidence with God. And not just confidence in a normal sense, but he, in almost every occasion, he links it with standing before judgment with God. 
Now, I don't know about you, but if you've shown up in the courtroom and you're the one, in a sense, that you're the, you're the defendant, I feel a little undone, even if it's just a parking ticket. Standing before the judge. But the God of the universe wants you to experience confidence before him because of what he has done for you through his son, Jesus. He wants you to experience fellowship, cleansing, purity. He wants you to be an overcomer, to experience victory. And these words ring again and again in the small letter. You know, 1 John was most likely written to the church at Ephesus. A church that, of any in the New Testament has a very epic development. We find Paul showing up there in Acts chapter 19. He finds 12 guys that know 75% of the gospel. And through these 12 guys that are still following John the Baptist, seems odd to us, a movement begins. A movement that transforms the city of, of a quarter million people. The real outpost of black magic in the Roman Empire world. You can find that in paganism in the ancient world, if you read that book. But if you don't, that's okay. <laughs> but we see this dark city transformed. But Ephesus was the kind of place that if you transform Ephesus, you transform the entire region because everyone comes to Ephesus if you want to make it big time. You come from little towns like Colossae and Laodicea and Heropolis, and you come to Ephesus, and you're transformed. And out of Ephesus, churches were launched all over the place into these cities. And we find Paul does ministry there. He sends Timothy there. There are battles for right doctrine. There's battles for right behavior. And we find Ephesus in a number of books, all the way up into the book of Revelation. In fact, if you were looking for one place to find out what were some of the challenges that these people may have been facing, Revelation chapter 2 and 3 would be a place where a letter was written to churches that likely would have received this First John letter only a few years earlier. They were dealing with issues of idolatry. As they had come out, many of them had come out of pagan worship life. They were dealing with issues of immorality, which in this world of paganism, there were no social mores about what was right or wrong with that. And oftentimes, even being involved religiously meant that you were involved in certain types of immorality. While Christianity is very different, how do you move forward? How do you make sense of this? They had only recently begun to really clearly break from Judaism. That in the New Testament, in the beginning, it's just a sect within Judaism. That they think they're the people just following the true Messiah. But now as the temple's been destroyed, there's a break. We begin to realize there's some real challenges. How do we make sense of this? Ultimately, this letter is about who belongs in the people of God. Who are the children of God? He'll continue to put his finger on two things, belief and behavior. That one of the beliefs, it seems that they had a fuzzy belief about who Jesus really was. And what's odd to us is, it seems that people believed that Jesus was really some type of divine figure, but that he may not have been really human. That seems odd to us at this point in history, but in that culture that would have made sense. If you've ever read Homer's Odyssey or Iliad, it wouldn't have been odd to think that a god could look like a human. And to these people, they thought maybe Jesus just looked like he was human. Maybe he wasn't totally human. Maybe he was a little different than you and I. And John will make sure that we know that he is real. 
That he was so human and that his death is an absolute reality. And without it, there is really no gospel. And he'll talk about behavior. He'll put his finger on things like really loving people. Almost giving it as a litmus test. If you don't love people, really, you're, you don't love God. He'll put things that black and white. He'll say, dear children, let us not love in words or tongue, but with actions and the truth. Really, my hope is that you lean into this conversation as Jesus, or as, <laughs> as Jesus speaks to you. As Jason recites the scripture, lean into the conversation. Hear. Hear God speak. Be transformed by Him. And that you would experience what John writes, to see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that's what we are, friends. Now we are the children of God. And what we will be is not yet made known to us. But we know that when Christ appears, we'll be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. And all who have this hope in Him purify themselves, just as He is pure. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' his son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we've come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God lives in him, and his love is made complete in him. This is how we know that we are in him. 
Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet, I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there's nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you've known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you've known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you've known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him for everything in the world. The cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and his desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right 
has been born of him. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous? Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains at death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ.
and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever does not know God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete among us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love, lives in God, and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment, because in this world, we are like him. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. 
everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God. To obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that has overcome the world? Only he who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I am writing these things to you who believe in the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of him. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps him safe and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Well, friends, we are going to take a few moments and just have a time for us to reflect
to pray by yourself to the Lord? To ask what kinds of what kinds of things does He want to work into your heart? As we hear from God's Word, we're oftentimes hearing about who God is. Is there something you heard where like what that prompted you to say, what I think about God is not correct? And there's something that God wants you to see about who He is that is different from what you currently believe. God wants to bring change to your life. Is there something that you heard that, that the Spirit prompted in your life to say, you know what, that needs to really change in my life? This relationship with this person, this thought that I have toward another. And then, is there a step that God wants you to take? Those are oftentimes three things that I think of when I reflect over God's Word. What am I learning about God? What does He want to change in my life? And what is a step that I could take? So I just invite you to bow your head, take some time of reflection, and to think through those things.